Kriya Patel, thank you for coming today, specialist from the payment industry. Thanks for coming on Blockchain Rock. Hi, thank you for inviting me. <laughs> thank you for being here. So um, you're the managing director at Transact Payments, and maybe we can start by, uh, you know, we'd be grateful if you could give a bit of background as to what uh, Transact Payment does, maybe some background, some history, uh, sure. and then we'll take it from there. Sure, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, um, so my favorite topic, Transact Payments. So uh, <laughs> I'm the managing director of Transact Payments. Transact Payments is an electronic money institution. We're regulated here by the Gibraltar FSC, uh, headquartered here. Uh, we also have an office in the UK, and shortly because of the Brexit planning strategy we will also have an establishment in Malta with a team there under a under a secondary license um, what do we do with our e-money permissions um, we have two main service offerings um, we are members of MasterCard and Visa um, which enables us to provide services for clients who want to deliver prepaid debit and credit card solutions across the EEA this includes solutions such as um, alternatives to traditional current accounts um, mm -hmm. known as banking light um, trying to help uh, leverage and uh, deliver solutions to allow unbanked folks to get into the financial ecosystem um, right through to everyday gift cards that you might find in a Westfield store or prepaid you know, card prepaid like cards. Apple on the Apple store and exactly um, and everything in between um, sorry would this card just I'm curious would this card um, employ Visa or MasterCard? That's right. Ah, so, yeah. So, so we're members of Visa and MasterCard. Okay. Um, so under our membership with MasterCard and Visa, we're allowed to sponsor uh, partners to be able to deliver pro, uh, card solutions. So in our portfolio, we have everything from fully licensed banks who outsource this service provision to ourselves. Yeah. Uh, because our 100% focus is on managing payments and card solutions and dealing with the complexities that e exist in that ecosystem, right down to fintechs. Um, so companies who have built some fantastic solutions um, and really need the support of uh, companies like ourselves who bring regulatory experience, financial services experience, um, in order to allow them and facilitate them to take a financial instrument like a card yeah. into, their, into their desired uh, customer database or target market. So if you think of Revolut, Revolut is something that started as a prepaid card yeah. uh, issued by an institution like ourselves. So like Monzo, uh, those challenger banks. That, Monzo started as a prepaid card yeah. and is now a fully licensed yeah. bank. Um, and in, in our portfolio today, we have uh, partners, like I said, who are banks, um, fully licensed right down to uh, electronic money institutions who are looking for support from us, credit institutions who are wanting to deliver a credit card solution but really only want to manage the credit facility I and see. ask us yeah, to yeah. manage the, the payments yeah. piece. Um, and then the fully-fledged you know, replacement of current accounts uh, or banking-like products as we call them. And this is, um, if you look at a lot of the companies you've just mentioned, they yeah. started off with prepaid but actually are now providing full banking solutions. I see. Um, so th that's one of our core service offerings at Transact Payments. A second service offering is um, we're seeing that there's a real limitation for uh, companies to get access to banking. So one of the things that we've developed with a number of banking partners uh, and tech technology partners is solutions for the corporate space. So if you're a business and you're looking for business banking solutions and you're looking for that to be supported cross-border in multi-currency, we've been able to deliver some initiatives on that. Today we support 
um, uh, a private bank locally for their US dollar payment management. Okay. Um, we also support uh, a number of companies in the UK who have the payment requirements. And that's a pretty uh, uh, growing sector, especially in Gibraltar, because I think in, in Gibraltar there is a need for more competition on the banking side. And so we're seeing a lot of interest to see if we can support that and too. Why do you think businesses are experiencing this you know, complexity of uh, opening bank accounts? Is the KYC uh, processes because those businesses operate in more uh, innovative form of technology that perhaps is not as welcomed by the traditional bank? Why? What's the, what's the uh, reason? You'd be surprised. Even the most traditional of, of businesses are struggling to get access to banking. Um, so don't don't think this is just a, a situation that's been de derived from the fintech or the creation yeah. of the fintech market. Although the fintech sector is is struggling with that, uh, we as an electronic money institution have our own challenges getting banked. And I think the the reality is that. Traditional banks have taken a real hammering with regulation, dealing with changing and evolving their legacy systems, and they can't move at a pace, at the same pace that fintechs can. If you look at where the disruption and the advancements in the financial services sector have come from over the last 10 years, it's, become, it's come from the birth of the fintech sector. Yeah. And for my sins, I've been in payments and banking for, uh, since 1997. My first exploration into electronic payments started in 2001, before the word fintech even existed. Yeah. Really what it took was, you know, I, I'm, I'm from a banking background and I had a number of colleagues, we, we got together and we said, you know, we've spent a fortune in building this really robust system that can deal with scale, uh, can, is, is super compliant, is uh, meeting all the regulatory needs and, and, and future regulatory needs that we feel that will come, will come onto the landscape. Why can't we, provide this to other financial institutions who maybe do not have the same financial resources or the um, human resources to be able to, to meet the compliance requirements in the ever-changing regulatory uh, environment that yeah. financial services are now you know witnessing. So this is rolled right back to 2000, right? 2001. And we, we got together, we were quite entrepreneurial for bankers and we started to look at our systems and we started to offer that as a white label solution. So this is way before FinTech existed as a word. But if you, were, if you were a bank or a financial institution and you needed a system, who better to get it from than another financial institution yeah. who's doing exactly the same things you are, understands the same problems you have and how to, type, how to resolve those. So I see that was an early adopter stage and through that process, through the early 2000s, we were one of the first institutions in the UK and the whole of Europe to deliver an electronic payment solution using a prepaid card. Okay. And it was a gift card in the Bullring Shopping Centre on the MasterCard brand. Fast forward to what we're doing now and the likes of Revolut and Monzo yeah. and you know all of these new challenges that come into the space. I don't know whether they would exist or whether they how they would exist and whether they could accelerate their roadmap if there wasn't pioneers back in the day. And I'm not the only one. I'm not sort of kind of saying, <laughs> you know, there was a few of us and yeah. there's a few competitors in that space. But now it's a super competitive space and electronic money has been a, historically a good breeding ground for, for allowing fintech to accelerate. The problem is when you go back to traditional bankers and their legacy systems and their legacy way of thinking, and you know they've been hit with huge fines for AML breaches before any of this existed. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's caused them to kind of review their risk policies. And reviewing of risk policy means that appetite to support solutions with the provision of banking services, which I think is a 
is a basic need for humans, but also for businesses, right? Yeah. So it's not just an individual issue. We talk about the unbanked and that being an issue for individuals. I actually think it's equally a, uh, equally as big an issue for businesses. Yeah. And if a business cannot get a, a core primary need, which is banking, how can it survive? No, in a way, it's actually probably more stringent as a limitation on on a, on a business because you need it for compliance sake you need it in order to provide the service an individual even without having i mean a, a debunked individual of course it doesn't enjoy the same level of access as you know a banked individual the, that a bank individual has but at the same time a, a corporate like a business without a bank is not a business yeah. it wouldn't be they, it could not incorporate absolutely so if i look yeah. at our business activity in 2018 of the, the two product strands I mentioned, yeah. 95% of our activity in terms of dollars, yeah. in terms of you know value as well as transactional volume was corporate-based solutions. Whether that was provisioning of payroll programs, whether that was corporate expense management solutions, whether that was making cost-effective solutions for companies to purchase online and pay yeah. suppliers and receive invoices. We were using electronic money and card payment solutions as the alternative for companies who struggle to get banked. So you're an enabler. We're an enabler. Okay, um, so it's a business to be mainly a business to business. We, we are our clients are businesses. Okay. Um, our clients will have customers. Some of our clients will have corporates as their customers. So it might yeah. not be an individual. So it might be and a multi-layered. No framework of like a business to business until yeah. eventually it reaches the end customer. Exactly. And yes. that end customer could be a business in its own right, or it could be a business with employees who are the yeah. end card holders, ah, or it could be an individual, you know? Um, and we do both. We provide consumer services as well. Yeah. But it, just to kind of put context that our, our focus and our expertise is in that B2B space. Having said that, what we've realized is that that easily translates to a consumer model as well. And so we've been particularly successful in attracting quite a lot of customers over the last 12 months who want to deliver a, a, a consumer retail uh, I see product, alternative yeah. to, to bank accounts or payment solutions. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, and that, that's, that's what Transact Payments does. That's the kind of solutions we provide. I'm going to give bit, giving you a bit of background on myself. So before I moved to Gibraltar in 2014, I was working for uh, a number of different businesses, but they were all subsidiaries owned by a building society based in the northeast of England called Newcastle Building Society. And um, but can I can I just interrupt you a moment? Mm -hmm. There is something that you mentioned mm -hmm. uh, under the previous question, which I found interesting. You said that of course having access to banking and at a fast pace is almost a basic need, a basic need nowadays for human being. How do you reconciliate that? with uh, safeguarding investors and safeguarding the multiple the interest of the multiple stakeholder especially in light of you know 2008 and in light of all of the risk that a globalized um, market as the one that we are experiencing today brings with it so how do you reconciliate these sure. two components so, so there's two parts to that i guess two main parts is yeah. we're a regulated company uh, under our electronic money permissions our one of our core requirements is to 100 safeguard 100% of any client funds that we hold. Yeah. So if you think about a bank and uh, you have a bank account and I'm sure you get paid handsomely. So if you have more than 85,000 oh, pounds really? <laughs> with a bank, um, anything over above 85,000 uh, pounds, if that bank fails, is lost. Yeah. You could only guaranteed under a financial services compensation scheme, the first 85,000 that you hold with any institution. With an electronic money institution, 100% of the funds that you hold with us have to be safeguarded. So if something happened to 
TPL or any other uh, any other e-money e institution and it failed, those funds would always be ring-fenced and protected from any creditors of TPL. So we actually provide security in terms of assurance related to that under our permissions because that's how the regulatory framework to license an e-money institution works. The second thing that underpins all of this is we have stringent controls on onboarding. So we have, we follow um, bank level onboarding processes. That's why we have multiple banking partners who are happy for us to provision these services. The second thing is on top of that, we obviously fully adhere to the anti-money laundering directives. We're on the fourth iteration now. Uh, our team has already in the compliance area reviewed the fifth version. We're active in 23 countries across the EU. Um, all of our services we provide purely in the EU and the EEA. Uh, we're passported across all of the uh, member states. Um, so one thing is we recognize the complexity of re regulation and, and cross-bordering. So yeah. what we do is we take each country's requirements into account with any services we provide. So. When someone on boards with us, they have the assurance of go, understanding that we comply with the same regulations that the banks do. We have extra regulatory requirements around safeguarding of funds that protect customers' funds 100%. And the third piece on that is the fact that we prove that by the fact that we're cleared by MasterCard and Visa to provision these services. Yeah. We're also cleared by all the banks that we work with to provision these services. And in fact, I tell you where the future of the banking sector is going. It's, it's, it's partner acquire or die right so you either partner with fintechs because your legacy yeah. systems and you can't build them out as quickly enough you buy fintechs so that that in you you automatically acquire a, a solution to take to the market to compete and what was the third one i said or die, die. and i hope yeah. that banks don't die because they play such an important role in the ecosystem um but actually i i feel for the banks you know there's challenges there i'm an ex-banker myself and yeah. i just think there's a reality check to be had which is what can we feasibly do and still meet the scrutiny and the controls and the regulatory requirements we have i, I find it sometimes that banks will use regulation as an excuse not to do business and i think you mentioned it earlier we're yeah. an enabler we're a facilitator so i feel it's almost my job to be able to find solutions in a for way, the market where there isn't one in a way it's um it's interesting because fintech um everyone claims you know that fintech solution like especially when you start looking at crypto assets or cryptocurrency depending on like how you consider them to be um you know it's seen as a way to take out the middleman from the picture mm -hmm. but in reality in a way if you look at it in uh, in way if you look at it from ecosystem perspective right if you look at businesses and how they would be able to adopt crypto asset or cryptocurrencies it seems actually to insert an opportunity to create a new middleman which is the fintech institution or the fintech business that is as you said either acquired or is partnering with a more traditional um, bank mm -hmm. uh, so in a way yes maybe for the end customer or the private customer purchasing um, crypto such as bitcoin also because there are different types might be a way of liberating itself from middlemen but for from the corporate aspect actually to provide that end user that service, you need to introduce more middlemen, no? Well, so this is this is, um, this is almost a vicious circle, as I yeah. say it, right? So you want technology to advance unthrottled, right? Unrestricted, because yeah. that's where innovation comes from. That's where the real smart ideas come in. And that's what changes the way 
that uh, consumers interact with everyday instruments, whether it's a financial instrument or whether it's something else, right? If you think of the world, could you imagine a world without Facebook anymore or Instagram or yeah. WhatsApp, right? You just couldn't, right? That You naturally just gravitate to something because it makes your life more enjoyable or, or easier. Changes right? culture. It like removes the... fiction and it changes your cultural approach, right? Yeah. The way I look at this when it pertains to financial services, whether it's DLT, whether it's traditional fintech, whether it's traditional banks, is the, the vicious circle is you want to allow technology to be developed by those guys who are real pioneers without any barriers. But the reality check to that is when it comes to financial services is it still needs to then adhere to regulatory yeah. controls and key protocols. You right? want your money to be secure. Yeah, because otherwise... Exactly. Yeah. So you want all that friction <laughs> removed, but you want all the security that a traditional stay, bank gives yeah, you. So something's got to give. I mean, my view on this is that there's... There's a middle ground to be had. I actually think that you're always going to want the assurance of what the banks give you, what a financial services regulated company will give you. What you can do, though, is align with certain technology service solutions, whether that's DLT and the removal of you know pretty expensive costs to move and, money yeah. around, especially on a global basis. Uh, but it still has to be underpinned by trusted partners. And I think that that's where DLT's not quite got to. You know, crypto yeah. hasn't quite got to that trust. Trustworthiness area. and credibility, yeah. yeah. And, and if you're going to bring middle, uh, middle, middleware into that process, whether that's technology or whether that's licensed service providers or whether that's regulation or whatever it is, that's not quite there yet. And once it is there, I do think that there's going to be a, a steeper adoption and a much more comfort, comfortable environment for the DLT space. Um, I'll give you a good example. The recent announcement by Facebook about Libra. Yeah. Um, so, if, again, if I broke that down into some components, you ask a purist on the blockchain DLT side, they'll say it's not blockchain. Yeah. And they're, they're right. If you ask the opportunistic individual, the trader who's been trading in Bitcoin and Ethereum and other cryptocurrencies and altcoins, they'll say, this is not attractive to me because it's, it's a stable coin in essence, right? It's backed by yeah. fiat. So they can't they can't make the value from this as they would from what they've been yeah, doing playing in, on the, in the traditional the, space through exchanges. But actually, for me, what I find is really interesting is this is a big driver. This is a significant I driver. You talk you. about the yeah. middleware. We're talking about MasterCard. We're talking about Visa. We're talking about Vodafone. We're talking about Stripe. We're talking about Spotify. We're talking yeah. about eBay. We're talking about Uber. You think about all of those interactions with those who are merchants. They're all electronic interactions. You talk about the payment networks like the MasterCard and Visa. That's a genuine interest to say, how do we align? Or is there value in aligning? And the biggest thing with this is when you talk about digital assets or current cryptocurrency, whatever you want to call it, anything in that DLT space, you still got to move money from the real world to the, yeah. into the digital world. And you've got to move money out of the digital world back into the real world. And these guys are all operators around the ecosystem in the real world. So aligning something like Libra could be a significant step. It's too early to tell. I would, you know, I don't have a crystal ball to predict what future is, but I actually do think it's an interesting step to say we've got serious players now showing a, a significant interest. I, I completely agree with you on that. Uh, and and I think the biggest thing that could come out of this, it may be that Libra and Calibra the wallet. I think Calibra the yeah. wallet is really the the bit I think is really interesting for financial services. I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, when you're working in the online space or the digital space, 
why do we still have a KYC process that says, here's my passport, here's my utility bill, here's my driving license, right? Yeah. Surely we should be able to utilize digital identities or move towards portable digital identities as something that can be utilized in that space. Now, what will drive the adoption of that? Consumers, because they want frictionless access, but actually trust. Yeah. These are the kind of companies to some extent that you're going to trust more than somebody that you've never heard of or the worry that you know everyone perceives DLT as high risk, right? So I actually think this could be the stepping stone of creating a, a, an ecosystem in the digital space which is now more tried, trusted, and will eliminate fr friction. So Libra might not be here in five years' time. Calibra might not be here, but the 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 the, the uh, adoption of a digital identity seed of inception is there now. Yeah, no, no, I completely agree yeah. with you, and I think that's actually on the in a very speculative way. I think this is very much the agenda of Facebook. I am, and if you look at the past announcement that were made during the year, you know, at the beginning they focused on building communities, yeah, and after building communities, they moved on to now, especially in light of what happened with Cambridge Analytica. Yeah. They moved on to making data privacy a priority within yeah. their plan, right? Yeah. Which uh, I, I, I really do believe. And like, if you look, if you couple these two aspects together also with uh, uh, the hard fact that face, you could use your account, your Facebook account to register, uh, to sign up and sign in so many services, you know, just through your Facebook account, it's effectively becoming your digital identity. I. I would be hardly surprised if, uh, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years from now, Facebook will become just a synonymous of like a digital passport or something yeah. that can prove your identity through which you operate, through which you branch out to different services. Because in my opinion, it makes it, it's much more, it's much easier in a way. It, it would become an enabler for other businesses. Yeah, you know, if the KYC is centralized, yeah. just that, just the KYC, then each service provider will need to meet its own regulation. But Nowadays, compliance plays a crucial role into, you know, it's a, I don't want to say a burden because it's something positive actually, but it is very difficult for a lot of startup businesses to be able to, you know, meet the KYC requirement, especially in this, um, if you look at challenger, challenger banks and if you look at the entire fintech uh, industry. Um, so I think Facebook stepping in with Libra is a way to own that space, as you as you mentioned about the yeah. digital identity, and to provide a um, a solution not just related to you know the adoption of uh, cryptocurrency um, by the masses, but also in terms of like enabling a future iteration of uh, uh, of current services into so many different industries by just using your account. Yeah, so, uh, absolutely. So if you think about it, if you look at the DLT space, I say that yeah. that's in current iteration 1.0 right it's only going to be at 3.0 4.0 where we see real value real adoption real trust yeah. regulators getting comfortable with it the ecosystem that supports it like the the off-ramping and on-ramping was what i mean is that moving money in and moving out yeah. money out in the real world where you've got operators prepared to provide services around that right now there's a few brave people who are trying to find those solutions well, you know i think we are there was one of those individuals that are trying to support the market and find yeah. solutions but actually with a serious degree of rigor you know that's really applied that says but that doesn't compromise that we will not be robust around our AML practices that are compliance and no, adherence no, to PSD2 or EMD or but you know you have an infrastructure I think GDPR, you're, you're, whatever, I think right? you're quite unique I think yeah. your position in the market is quite unique you have a wealth of experience you have an infrastructure that you built in all of those years I think um, 
I think your service as an enabler is extremely valuable um, because many startups that maybe want to provide for a new service or product mm. are not, I do not think, enjoy the same benefit that you built and you own, you know, like it mm -hmm. comes from effort. It doesn't come, doesn't fall from the sky. But I think new businesses are really struggling in meeting their, you know, KYC obligation, and yeah. not just KYC and AML, but also the larger portion of the regulatory obligation that is involved within like the provision of financial services. Yeah. And as we chat before, I think what was interesting um, like before the podcast, actually, we had, we had the chance to discuss this briefly. I believe that it's also very interesting because as you just mentioned now, some people would just, you know, turn their nose up and be, won't be and declare the fact that they are not interested in Libra because it's stablecoin and yeah. it doesn't present investment opportunities. But that's why I believe that although the technology behind it might be debatable and controversial, I think what's important is that it has the potential to become a cryptocurrency, a currency and not an asset. Because right now, as we yeah. as we were saying before, uh, some of the leading uh, cryptocurrency or asset, as you want, such as for example the like of Bitcoin or Ethereum. I think a lot of people do not really find um, do not really find a, a currency. Mm -hmm. they, they, I don't believe they they see them as currency, but more as like inexperienced one. As it could be myself, you know, they could see them as an investment opportunity, especially in light of you know the volatility that they have uh, shown in the in the previous year. And um, I think that a mass adoption like the one that Libra has the potential to bring could really bring crypto asset or cryptocurrency the whole dlt into the mainstream and yeah. become a you know something that people yeah. could use to purchase goods and services over the counter yeah. I, I understand where you're coming from and they're really good points i think if i look at libra i think that that's more akin to uh, if i look at traditional cryptocurrencies more akin to ethereum than it is to bitcoin and what i mean by that is you know it's it's a platform to build from and i hope that and see that that's where the benefits potentially come let's not think about what it is now and how facebook facebook will utilize that but it would be for yeah. merchant acceptance for everyday spend that is the desire to allow money remittance to happen much more quickly and easier but at the same time it still needs to be something that is trusted um is frameworked around um uh, compliance with law and regulations that exist in 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 wherever that that takes place but you, you if you if you think about every facebook user um if they decide to utilize this this is the world's biggest retail bank overnight right? absolutely two billion like, basically almost, getting no? changes so this is a way of technology and technology companies forcing change in a more in a lateral way yeah, yeah. ecosystem right um and and what we're doing is something very similar on a smaller scale, though. Um, yeah. uh, we were talking about it earlier. One of our customers that we're supporting in the DLT space is a company called Tap and Go, right? Now, Tap and Go are applying for their DLT license here, um, and they have a need to be able to facilitate that movement in and out of their um, uh, their their crypto-based or DLT-based solution, and we're facilitating that through a, a debit card. So similar to Coinbase, yeah, for so example. Just like the Coinbase one, right? So what we're trying to do is, you know, our approach to this, just to kind of how to give some comfort about how we still reinforce that with the, with what we think are regulatory controls and, and best practice is we will only work with firms who are prepared in the DLT space to be prepared to be regulated. Okay. So this is about one thing that says, look, get a recognized <laughs> jurisdiction and a recognized regulatory permission, whether that's a DLT specific 
um, a permission like like he's offered here in Gibraltar, whether that's an e-money license, whether it's a uh, a banking license. Some you know some firms who are going straight down the banking route. It's about making sure that you're working in a reputable jurisdiction. You're prepared to take regulation seriously. Um, you're prepared to comply with it yourself. And these are the conditions that help us get comfortable with working with what is still a high risk area. And without that, I don't have the partner network, network or the supply chain to be able to support what I'm trying to do because everyone wants to work with success stories. They don't want to be tied yeah. to failures, right? And there is going to be a risk of that, you know, success rate to failure rate, um, you know, in the early stages, you, you see more failures than you see successes. Absolutely. It's part of evolving an ecosystem, whether it's payments, whether it's financial services, whether it's cryptocurrency. To me, it doesn't really matter. That's just, just the way life evolves, right? So so I think it's really interesting. And that's why I think Libra and, and what Facebook are doing in general and the way that they've brought in the association partners and their yeah. commitment is very much about taking those steps to evolve trust in something that I think if, if people didn't believe in the DLT sector, then these companies wouldn't be involved. If people didn't, you know, this isn't just because Facebook said, let's do it. You know, um, this isn't new. This has been around, but it's just been more challenging for the cryptocurrency type coins that are out there, the stable coins, whether they were pre-stable coins, but designed more for currency yeah. purposes rather than um, as investment assets um, or investable assets then you nothing's changed what's the difference with libra the only difference with libra is it's backed by facebook it's the got brand. Huge, yeah, the branding. <laughs> huge amount of people it's already got a ready-made customer base yeah um so onboarding is, is less frictionless but i think going back to that as well this digital identity i think is an important point because this single sign single user sign on using facebook to log into all of these other apps i'm not cool with that right now because I know my my kids, my youngest kid can open, uh, set up a Facebook account, yet the terms and conditions say you have to be over 16, right? Yeah. So I'm sitting there going, but if a child can do that, then how much damage could somebody who's a real bad actor in the system do to, do to that? So that's why I think that the digital um, identities online need to mature. So yeah. they need to take on the, the same secure customer authentication requirements that are adopted under PSD2 by European law. and I think you know somebody like Facebook taking that step and saying, "Look, this is this is us doing it as a as a responsible technology provider, rather than this is us doing it because we're forced by regulation." Will be a great way of allowing it to move forward and be adopted in a in a in a more um, mainstream way. And and I think in a way that could very much happen because if you look at uh, Mark Zuckerberg, for example, yeah. right, he has ties with. Um, political leaders from multiple nations. He recently been to France. You know, those type of ties will translate eventually in opportunities to um, provide for a product that maybe is provided with, in partnership with some government. Like, mm. uh, I'm yeah. not saying that everyone would be happy. That that would be, in a way, that's scary. It almost, you know, you have the private sector that can draw data from the public sector. It's a bit of an overlap. It will be a very delicate balance. Nonetheless, by you know remaining positive also it's not all bad you know something yeah. really useful something really good could stem off oh, uh, absolutely of again goes back to the evolution point so for example our tech stack is built on aws 
Um, so the Amazon the, Cup. Yeah. So the <clears> amount of things that we as a business can do now, as a business of our size, that we could not feasibly have done if we didn't have a solution which was cloud-based that allows the scalability at a cost-effective way, is superb. Right now, we're investigating artificial artificial intelligence tools that they're providing, uh, machine learning uh, solutions for things like uh, fraud protection, transaction monitoring. Um, they recently came out with a solution called Recognition, which is using uh, video, you know, video camera solutions for uh, surveillance and verification. Now, some local police forces were using it and got into trouble because it's challenged against uh, uh, an individual's, you know, right of privacy and all right, of that, privacy yeah, and data rights and, yeah. and everything else. But that doesn't mean that that recognition is a bad solution. Because can you imagine that for a customer verification solution? No, that would be incredible. It would be brilliant, wouldn't no, it? No, absolutely. Plus, why? Why? Because you can download a, a fake passport online. You yeah. can download a fake utility bill. That's probably more likely to go through a bank system than somebody going right. I'm I'm going to have to get in front of a camera. I'm going to need to prove who I am, yeah. and I'm going to geolocate me to where I am. Um, I can use, you know, IP addressing was something the gaming industry used for a long time to be able to trace where the customers were coming from. Yeah. And this was all driven by being able to prove your customer is who they say they are, right? Yeah, individually, each of these is hackable, yeah. but if you combine them all together exactly. into a convergent uh, product, then it becomes uh, very secure. But if you look at like all of these, you know, the like the new mobile phone, new smartphone, yeah. use face recognition, yeah. the technology behind that is crazy. Yeah. Like they can, it's very hard to, from what I understand, it's very hard to fake it. And if you couple it with geolocation, as you suggested, yeah. if you couple it with other form of, with machine learning, perhaps, yeah. you know, with the AI, it could it could become a real product. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a banking product I use, which is a mobile only banking product out of the UK. I've been using it for about two years, and two years ago they were the first operator I dealt with that used. I allowed me to log into my account by biometrics using my iPhone thumbprint, mm -hmm. uh, uh, using my face recognition, but I had to blink to prove that it wasn't a picture or I wasn't I was genuinely ah, there. So it's dynamic. Yeah. Ah, and I the see. third one was voice. Because apparently your voice is one of the most unique characteristics that you can. Have you seen have. now? It's quite scary. They've done that. I think it's Google Assistant. I'm not sure, uh, but they basically exhibited a, a demo of uh, an AI that is capable of uh, recording your voice, processing it, and then just speak mm -hmm. with your own voice. <laughs> it's 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 yeah. extremely scary so so you can understand with something like yeah. that you need multi-factor absolutely right? yeah, yeah absolutely and underpin it with a digital asset that's portable right so that's my identity and i choose who i share that with then i'm in control yeah so i'm protected because i'm choosing what i do with it rather than anybody else making that decision for me and i think sometimes this is where we've got is i think we're at this impasse now and i'm hoping technology is going to keep pushing the boundaries and regulation is going to start coming closer to a middle ground that says no, okay look we can come to an agreement on a yeah. common consensus around how we deal with kyc how we deal with taking bad actors out of the ecosystem or identify them because i don't think you can ever take out bad actors. i agree with you 100 percent you know that, that, that's always going to be there. Just because you build something that's there for 99% of the population who are going to use it properly, there's always going to be that 1% that's going to, is causing the, the level yeah, of focus it that it for holds all. it back. <laughs> yeah, holds yeah, yeah. it's always back. the case. Like the so, so, child in the playground. Or <laughs> so then you've got to try and say, well, how can I build some kind of service offering that's still frictionless or as frictionless as you can make it, but let's put some barriers in that maybe 
deter the bad actors. You know, that could be, you know, we've built out solutions, for example, where we've been early adopters in solutions where we've put really low limits. So the, in order for somebody to do something terrible or commit yeah. fraud at a significant level, it's a heck of a lot of effort for them. Um, and that will just deter them because most fraud yeah, that's a good lazy, way. Yeah, yeah. Right? But it's proving the concept. And as the trust builds, you, you open that service up, right? And, and you can only build that up by building a relationship. So if, if you bank with me, day one, I don't really know you other than I know I've verified you. But if you bank with me for a year, at the end of that year, I'm going to know what your spend habits are because yeah. I've seen it. I've seen all of this information. And it, as long as I, I'm in a position to be intelligent enough to review, assimilate that information and understand the risk of you as an individual, as a customer using my regulated product. And as long as I'm happy with that, then we're good. Uh, and if I'm not happy with it, I can bring more barriers into play, right? Until I am yeah. comfortable. And and if you were a bad actor, you would leave because I'm making it too difficult for you to, to operate. Enough, yeah, it's not convenient to... But a bank who comes in and says, well, we, we're just not going to bank you day one because you might be a bad actor is is the complete, you know, extreme of, of, of the situation we're probably witnessing now. And that's where we're trying to play a part to try and support I see. Uh, accessibility to financial services, but still with in a, in a con controlled environment and in a compliant environment. And that can equally apply to DLT companies that we're working with and facilitating with car programs or banking or payment solutions. But it could equally pertain to just your traditional businesses and consumers that, that are just not being serviced effectively today. And I'm pleased to say we're not the only one. You know, there's companies out there like us who are really, you know, part of their core strategy is about providing solutions and services where there is a, a significant gap. I see. We spoke a lot about uh, transact payments. Mm -hmm. We spoke about um, the fintech industry. We spoke about the traditional banking industry. So give us a little bit of background. This is unusual. Usually we start with the background of the person <laughs> we're we having on, but like just to spin a bit and things like, uh, so uh, you mentioned you're not from Gibraltar. Yeah. So you're coming from the UK, from England. And yeah, just give us a, how come, what brought you to Gibraltar? How did you become the managing director of Transact Payments? And uh, what is the future holding for you? What okay. are the projects? So uh, my background, I'm, um, I was born in the UK. I was born in a town called, or a city called Leicester. Um, my, my wife is from Leicester. Really? <laughs> Small world, right? <laughs> um, so my, my father's um, originally from India. My father was born mm -hmm. in India. My mother was born in Fiji. So I'm, I'm a roommate, real mix, I guess. I was born, in, born, born and brought up in Leicester. Um, I went to the university in the north of England and uh, I, I studied uh, a degree in IT. So my background is, or my, my desire growing up was to be a technologist, I guess. Um, what I quickly realized is I wasn't very good at coding. <laughs> and then when I graduated, the only jobs available were for, for programmers. Um, what I really liked was working between the technology aspects and the business. And I was fortunate enough after I finished, uh, after I graduated to work for a, a building society in a sales role. And that accelerated quite quickly to me being promoted into a role in, within the head office. And there I got to um, sort of exploit some of my business analyst backgrounds, my project management skills, focused around building IT solutions. So so you resonate a bit with trends like in being an enabler between the I, yeah no? I was between fortunate. two different spheres so yeah I was right? fortunate that I you know the, the path that it led me to wasn't the one that I thought it would but uh, the opportunity it created was very much about being able to 
be very solutions focused. Actually, the companies we worked in were all called solutions. And they had the names, they had the word solutions in them. Um, I was fortunate enough to be managing director of three of those. One was a, a mortgage processing outsource division, uh, providing uh, UK uh, underwriting rules for expats buying property in the Middle East, predominantly Dubai. Um, and we used technology and workflow to deliver that. Um, the second one was I had held a head of IT role for an outsource online savings and banking solution that we sold and white labeled for the likes of Capital One, Santander, Alliance and Leicester, uh, Bradford and Bingley, a number of different different mm -hmm. operators. Um, and the third one, I was uh, managing director of a company that sold our core banking software and parts of our banking software to other banks and building societies. So early, I got to use my technology background and keep my technology background, but actually develop solutions to take to market for other financial institutions. So that's my background. That's what I've done. And I really enjoyed it. Um, in 2010, um, uh, I, had, I had built uh, uh, the largest electronic money institution in Europe, the fifth biggest in in the world on the MasterCard brand operating prepaid cards. Um, we sold that to a, a German bank. And at that point, I thought it was an opportunity for me to try and do something new. I'd been within that company structure, running multiple roles for 13 years, so it always felt fresh and challenging. But at that point, I thought, you know, I want to stay in the electronic payments business. This is something I really love. Um, the business had been sold. I could have stayed with the new company, but I felt I needed a fresh start. And I had the opportunity and I had an offer to, to work for a Gibraltar-based company in Transact. So I started as sales director, quickly became sales, marketing and operations director um, to try and impart some of my experience on a broader scale, mm -hmm. um, which was then a few years later sold to a US bank. And we were under the ownership of the US bank. And at that point, I was invited by the US bank to take on the role of managing director or CEO. So at that point, um, uh, I, I spoke to my wife and I've got three children. The first time they offered me the role, it wasn't the right time. My, my daughter was studying in the UK in the middle of exams. The second time they came back, they were persistent and I'm pleased they were. <laughs> um, and the second time they came back, I spoke to my family and we said, look, why not? Let's do this. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. We came out um, with only really myself having spent some time in Gibraltar back and forward between the UK. Um, but that was in, back in 2014 and it's been unbelievable, you know, the culture, the lifestyle, the fact that I can sometimes finish work late and feel guilty, but I can ring my wife up and say, come on, we're going to go out, I'm going to buy you dinner and yeah. the kids can come out. Back in the UK, the weather doesn't really relate to that other than maybe <laughs> if you're lucky, four weeks in the year, right? So, yeah. so, you know, I love the weather, my family, the children are settled, my wife is settled and for me, I, can think, I always think I can work from anywhere, I do a lot of traveling. Uh, in the last month, I've been in four different countries uh, on different business projects. So, you know, it's it's great. Gibraltar is a great, uh, great location to live. It's a great place to do business from um, and great people. I mean, I feel now fast forward from my time when I moved in 2014 to now, I feel part of part of the community. My family do. Uh, biggest challenge here is I was running late here is every time I go from one place to another, I am now stopping every hundred yards to stop to, to say, say hello to someone, to someone yeah, right? Yeah. You know? so, and, and that's such a fantastic feeling as well, you know. It um, it's a safe place uh, for my children, but it's a secure place to, 
to build a business and um, it's a supportive place to build a business. So oh, yeah. that's where we find ourselves and that's where I am here at Transact. And, and where does Transact go from here or where do I go from here? Well, hopefully but we both grow um, significantly into, into an even more successful business than we are today. To put some context in, over the last, since 2017, since April of 2017, we've gone through double on, double on growth from a revenue client growth point of view and services wise, we've diversified our products into the banking and payment solutions as well as the traditional card payments mm -hmm. that we did. 60% um, of our portfolio today is regu our regulated companies. So we've de-risked our, our relationships. Traditionally, all of our clients were fintechs uh, without any regulatory permissions. So, um, And how was that achieved? Was that achieved because now there is a regulation that covers uh, specifically fintech activities that revolves around the fintech industry? Say, for example, the distributed, um, the DLT, regs here in Gibraltar and like other jurisdiction or was it because the type of businesses that approach you are not only coming from the fintech industry it's a bit of both okay. so DLT for sure that's a new regulatory framework that's come into place in different yeah. jurisdictions not all jurisdictions it's, uh, it's not Europe-wide or worldwide yeah. at this yeah. point but um, so yeah that is a new area of regulated activity uh, but actually it's the traditional ones you know we've had more banks sort of realize it's it's more cost effective and it's more efficient and it's more reliable a service to outsource to yeah. somebody like us who are 100% dedicated to it than to do it in-house. Um, there's also institutions that are, just don't lack, they don't have that expertise. They see payments as a byproduct of their core offering. I don't think a bank sees payments as a core, core offering. I see a bank's core offering is uh, onboarding customers and selling insurance, uh, savings, mortgages, and as many financial instruments as you can to them. Yeah. The fact that you have to onboard them with a with a loss leading payment product is 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 a byproduct of what their core core offering is. So if they can outsource that to somebody who's whose sole focus is payments, yeah, able to, yeah. that's got to be uh, a proposition worth worth considering, or at least having a having a conversation on. And I'm, I guess what's happened is the world world is changing. Uh, people are looking at collaboration and partnership, whereas before it's always been, let's just do it in-house, yeah, whether we yeah. do it well or not. And I think hopefully that's where the future of financial services and technology as it pertains to supporting financial services will go, is that there'll be more partnership. There'll be more fintechs who are working with more traditional operators, and the end result is the consumer gets a better better deal. Yeah, the one benefiting at the end of the day, yeah. at the end of the chain, <clears throat> is the consumer. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I'd say that we pretty much covered everything <laughs> yeah. so far. Um, thank you so much again for coming. It was an absolute pleasure having you on uh, Blockchain Rock. We hope to see you again soon. Hopefully you'll come visiting us again in a few months and uh, you'll tell us all about how this month have been for Transact. Thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. It's been a really interesting conversation and uh, um, look forward to, to following up sometime in the future as well. Thank you very much. Thanks. Bye, bye-bye.